welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Before I preach, I want to make a couple of comments about some things that affected my life deeply. The first was by Randy Keyes, pastored a thriving apostolic church in Modesto, California, and he made a statement. I wrote it down. I never forgot it. Our church has heard it a hundred. God is not a respecter of persons. God is a respecter of principle. Hebrews 11 and 6 said, if you, if, if you come to God, you must believe, first of all, that He is God. Second, you must believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Not enough just to believe He's God. You've got to believe He rewards you for seeking Him. Brian Kinsey said, you do not pray your way into a promise. You obey your way into a promise. God respects principles. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Hosea. He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Ignorance can kill you. Next time somebody said, well, ignorance is bliss. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Not demons, devils, spiritual wickedness in high places. It's none of that that destroyed God's people. It was a lack of knowledge. So you find a biblical principle and you start practicing it, and God will start rewarding you. Is that better? Okay. I want to be willing and obedient. Isaiah 1 and 19, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And I adopted a term years ago called redemptive lift. You come into the church, your background, your pedigree, your economic status and all that is not relevant. When you start obeying God's principles, you start climbing. And you'll go up, and I've watched it happen over and over and over again in the lives of people who came to God with nothing, and today they are blessed. Yes. So remember that. You don't pray your way into a promise. You obey your way into a promise. One principle that I learned in the Scripture is that you sow up for prosperity. The widow gave her last meal to the prophet, you sow up, you sow into the ministry for prosperity. You sow down for health. Isaiah 58 and 8 says in the fasting chapter when you fast, which we don't ever do, you're supposed to take what you were going to eat and give it to somebody less fortunate. Did you know that was in the Bible? You didn't know, did you? The first bunch was livelier than y'all. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but and I know some of them have already heard some of this, but I'm trying to change it up a little bit to keep them occupied here. Amen. You sow down for health. He said in Isaiah 58 and 8, when you take what you were going to eat and you sow it to the poor, your health will spring forth. You sow up for prosperity. You sow down for health. These are Bible principles. And if you live those principles, God promised to bless you, and he's not a man, he can't lie. Right? 
He's not a man, and he can't lie. I, uh, I, I'm very blessed to pastor a missions-minded church. 34 years ago, my wife and I went as very young people to accept the responsibility of a well-established church. The first thing we did was begin to cast a missions vision. I was about a 15-year-old boy, and I wanted to be a soul winner. I had, a, I had a desire to win a soul, but I was so shy, and you won't believe that by the time I got through, but I really was shy. And you take me out of my normal company, and, and uh, we used to knock doors, which I wouldn't recommend you do that anymore. You're liable to get shot at the front door, but we would knock doors and a little track in our hand, invite somebody to church, you know, and you're like praying nobody's at home, and you can leave the track in the door. But a missionary came to our church, and he made a statement. He said, if for $15, every $15 you give to missions converts to a soul. In my teenage brain, I thought, I can be a soul winner one way or the other. I made a trip with what they now call Apostolic Youth Corps of the Philippines in 1984, and it rocked my world. It rocked my world in a way that I cannot explain. So we began to be a missions-minded church, and we started having a service like this. In fact, we just had ours. We have it for the whole weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the only time of the year we do it. And we started casting a vision uh, to do things beyond our borders. We want to impact our city, just like you do. We want to impact northwest Louisiana. It's in our mission statement. But we believe we can impact the world through missions. And I've been on a number of missions trips. We're going to share a little bit of that with you later and some of the things that have happened over the years. But I remember coming back from the Philippines, which was an amazing, amazing church. And this was before they even are where they are today. But I was like, God, help me not to beat up on our people too bad. I want to talk to you today about winning Christ. Winning Christ. When I was at headquarters, I used to go preach for a guy in the area there. I'm sure Brother Mann would know him if I called his name, but I'm not going to do that. Anyway, so they had the old uh, schedule where you have, a, you have 10 o'clock, you have Sunday school, and 11 o'clock, you have church. So I would go to his 10 o'clock class, and it was amazing to me that he always moved the pulpit halfway back in the center aisle, and all the people sat in the back. Well, I preached for him several times, and one week I had to ask, why, why do you move the pulpit back? And he said, for years, Brother Dean, I tried to get the people to move up. They wouldn't move up, so I just moved back. And I thought of an old king, the first king of uh, the nation of Israel, Jeroboam. Instead of moving the people close to the altar, he moved the altar closer to the people. He tried to make it convenient. Even as you do here at home, we strive for excellence. Our, our big banner when you walk in the door is everyone's welcome. We've been challenged on that a time or two. Everyone's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Anything's possible. It wasn't ours originally, but we use it and we talk about it. But we won't, don't want to get to the place where we're so user-friendly, we're not God-friendly. We're not move a God Holy Ghost, 
We want God to be welcome. And we want to be user-friendly. Last Sunday, the Holy Ghost fell in our worship service and brand new people were baptized in the name of Jesus. In our second worship song, a young girl got the Holy Ghost. That's Holy Ghost friendly. We wound up baptizing five. It carried over to Wednesday night. We baptized three more. And then this morning I saw on Slack, they're baptizing another one this morning. Our student ministry is reaching out to people and people are coming to God. So we've got to be at a place where God can move us and touch us and stir us and just whatever. So a young man told me and my son Ryan one time, he said, we love this church. They They had moved to our city and started attending our church. He said, I love your preaching. My old pastor used to just tell us how great we were. You guys preach to us and try to get us better. And I do not deny that. I don't want us to get comfortable. We've been given a lot, haven't we? That means that the responsibility goes up. Until whom much is given, much is required. We have a lot of knowledge. Paul said in Philippians 3, 7, and 8, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I might win Christ. I became fascinated with that winning Christ. How do I win him? What can I do to win him? This was not about Paul's salvation. He, he wrote this from the uh, Mammotrine prison in Rome. One of the last books he wrote, the last book was to 2 Timothy, the second epistle to Timothy. He was very comfortable. He said, I've, I've finished my course, fought a good fight, I've kept the faith. It's not about salvation. It's about pleasing God. He said in Colossians 1 and 10 that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. How do I win Christ? I would like to know, wouldn't you? I'm fascinated with this verse of Scripture. Paul never married. He said, I could have been like Peter and the rest of them. I could have got a wife. But in 1 Corinthians 7, he said, He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, that he may please the Lord. So he chose not to get married to win Christ. And only know one other person who had that philosophy, and that was Lee Stone King. Everybody else that I know, if they're not married, I know a few who are married that wish they wasn't married, but forgive me, Jesus. That ain't me, by the way. I mean, most most young people are crossing their fingers hoping they can get married before the Lord comes, you know. Amen? Lee Stone King is an outlier. But Paul was willing to stay single because he was so hungry to please God. He said, a man that's married careth for the things of his wife, about his wife. And to get a witness, man. I got about five. There is a beautiful story in the Old Testament that that is a parallel. 
It's an allegory of Christ and the church. It's the song of songs, which is Solomon's. It's about the king disguised in a vineyard with a little girl that captures his heart. He said in, in chapter 9, of uh, verse 9 of chapter 4, in, in Song of Solomon, it's hard to tell who's talking. Is it the girl talking? Is it the man talking? Who's talking? This is the man talking to this little girl that's working in the vineyard. He said, Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravaged my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. Ravished is an interesting word. It means to unheart in the Hebrew language. We would interpret that as he stole my heart. The little girl stole his heart. I would like to think I could steal his heart. JTP, my minister said, heaven is not my goal. Heaven is my destiny. That's not my goal. My goal on this planet is to please the Lord. She ravished the heart of the king. Years ago, I read the book, The Five Love Languages, written by Gary Chapman. Every couple getting married ought to read this book. Find out what your spouse's love language is. It'll help you tremendously. So in this book, are y'all listening? In this book, he, he listed five love languages. First was quality time. To spend meaningful time with your partner. Pretty cool. The next one was physical touch. The love language of every male. I told him, I asked him in the first service if they knew what rubbish, rubbish was. Paul said, I count it but rubbish. You know what rubbish is? It's doo-doo. He lost it all. He said, it's like a pile of manure to me. It means nothing. I've never met anybody like this guy. He's amazing. So the third one was acts of service. This is the third love language. This is my wife's love language. Acts of service. Do something for her. Take out the trash without being asked. We had many discussions about this. I wish you would just take out the trash. Well, why don't you ask me? I'll be happy to. Will you just close the garbage compactor? Did you not see it was full? Why don't you do it without me asking you? A hundred women are saying amen right now. You heard about somebody that had a house fire because there was lint in the dryer vent. Guess what I did last week? Clean out the dryer vent. Acts of service. My wife is a junker. She loves Canton, trade days. Got a few witnesses out here. She goes, she has, actually has a booth in an antique shop in Bossier, and she buys old things and makes them look older.
and people buy those things. Pretty amazing. She first got into this shabby chic. Everything in the house was getting painted white. They paint it white, and then they get sandpaper and make it look old. She painted our whole kitchen full of cabinets. It took her a week. My mother came to see us, and then she scrapes them up, you know. My mother came to see us, and she said, Gina, did you intend for these cabinets to look this way? She said, I grew up trying to get away from that. She was painting everything in the house white. I was afraid to bend over there for a while. Everything I say here about my wife should stay in the building, all right? There's no me without her. The, the one was words of affirmation. Some people, that's what they like. Tell them they look nice. Brag on them a little bit. One is receiving gifts. Just buy them something. That's a love language for a spouse. Just go buy me something. And my wife doesn't, for years, she's kind of changed a little bit. She don't care about flowers. You give her some flowers and she's grateful. But if you give her cold cash... That works better than flowers at our house. So I'm reading this verse in the Song of Solomon. And I read this verse from Paul about winning Christ. And I asked myself the question in a time of prayer and study, does God have a love language? Does he have a language that I could speak to him because I want to win him? See, I personally do not believe that you pray for God's favor. I think you do what God likes, and you have his favor. You cannot pray your way into a promise. You obey your way into a promise. You find one of God's principles, and you start practicing that principle, and God will bless you. You will have his favor I looked at these five love languages. What about, would God like quality time? I think he would. I think he would enjoy you shutting the door to the closet and giving him quality time without iPhone and iPad interruption. Quality time. Would you agree with that? Physical touch, even though he's a spirit, I can't touch him physically. Paul said he's close enough. If we reach out, we can feel him. So I'm thinking God would love physical touch. He would love somebody reaching out, trying to touch him. Like the woman with the issue of blood, right? If I can just touch him. And then there's that words of affirmation, saying things that support your pastor, your, uh, your, your spouse. I know God likes words of affirmation. Enter into my gates with thanksgiving. Come in my courts with praise. God likes words of affirmation so much that he commanded everything that hath breath. Praise ye the Lord. He loves for somebody to clap their hands and shout with a voice of triumph. 
That's his love language. It's in the Bible. I, I've been in a number of countries and all the mission trips I've taken, I don't know how many I've taken, but quite a few. Only one time did I not go to a third world country where you see things and smell things and visualize things that it's just a different world. I've been to Haiti, the poorest place on the continent. Uh, I've been in churches where lizards were crawling on the walls. We were, the people were singing and my wife was freaking out like, I can't praise God. I, I was in Mexico at their general convention preaching, and the ladies there put streamers on their tambourines, and they come out. They came out of those risers, and I've I, I've said this over and over. It's the first place I've ever been where the women in these countries sweat like the men when they worship. They would come out of those risers. I've been in Costa Rica. I remember a lady feeding her baby with one arm and the other arm was up in the air. I've been in a number of places where they literally, when the choir would sing, the man in charge of the service would have to go up and make the choir stop singing so you could have preaching. And here's what I've observed in all my troubles. Are you ready for this? The people who appear to have the least to praise God for, praise him the most. The people who appear to have the most to praise God for, praise him the least. It bothers me when praise has to be pulled out of people. This is one of God's love languages. You enter into his gates with thanksgiving. You come into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. That's a love language of God. Nobody should have to ask you to clap your hands more than one time. It'd be a good time to take a praise break right now. And everybody ought to get involved in this for just a moment. That's a love language of God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The greatest worshiper in the Bible, the man after God's own heart, wrote about half of the Psalms in your Bible. They were songs about praising God. Our Sunday school kids had bought a bicycle for one of their pastors and me and the missionary and my son who was with me delivered it to him, to a little community, a little, about 2,000 people. He was so excited about that bike. 
He was so excited about that bike, we went into his little hut, which was maybe eight feet by eight feet, and the bedroom, the bed filled up the bedroom. We sat down, and he had purchased some Coca-Colas for us as a token of his appreciation. He cannot speak English, and he had bought some ice, and they had chipped the ice, and I had already been warned I could not have that. But anyway, I asked the missionary there at the time, Danny Workson, I said, how much did this cost him for him to buy all of us a drink? He said about a, week, about a week's wage. He worked for one week to buy three Cokes. I wonder how I could win Christ. That last one is receiving gifts. You're going to get nervous now, aren't you? Receiving gifts. You think God likes that? Receiving gifts. Now, one of the principles of the Bible is tithing. The stated purpose of tithing is in Deuteronomy. It said that you may learn to fear the Lord your God. There's no scripture in the Bible that says you pay your tithes. You return your tithe. The tithe is the Lord's. I'm not your pastor. I'll be gone. Take it up with him. No, you take it up with God. How did I get off on that? So anyway... We've built three big buildings in Bossier, and we adopted these principles. We started giving to missions. I had a dream of building seven Bible schools overseas from our church. Our church contributed the money, and we've sent men a number of times to actually help with the construction. But at any rate, our first two buildings, I'd always told our church what your pastor said today that I thrilled at, is that we don't cut back on missions. Because, see, this is a principle. It's the snowball. It's like, it's the momentum that's created when you give a gift. In the Old Testament, you, you had to bring a gift if you were going to worship. First mention of worship, you know this. It's Isaac and Abraham going up the mountain. And Abraham saying to the servants, you guys wait here. Me and the boys going up to worship. And the boy asked Daddy on the way up the mountain. He said, Daddy, we got fire and we have the wood, but we don't have a sacrifice. So they understood you could not worship without sacrifice. Psalm 96 and 8 said, bring an offering in your hand and come into my courts and worship me. You don't like this, do you? I don't want to leave you where you are. If I can't motivate and help somebody, bless your heart, I'm staying home with my grandbabies. I don't have to do this. I'm doing this for Jesus. I want you to be blessed beyond any of your wildest imaginations. And I know the principles that'll bring the favor of God into your life and bless you. Ooh, I'm about to chase some rabbits right here and I'm not gonna do it. So we built our first main building, our sanctuary. Uh, it's, it's, it's a large, beautiful place. And then so we built our life center, and we, we paid them off, both of them, very quickly. And 
We just, our church every year has increased our missions giving over the years. We just give. We have missions conference. We give. We, we, we build Bible schools. That's what I wanted to do. I, I read the book, The Circle Maker. I got me a little Mexican pebble, and I wrote five things. I wrote uh, seven things that I'm praying about. I have it on my desk, and one of them was I want to build seven Bible schools overseas. As I was on the Global Missions Board for nine years, it cost a lot of money to send a missionary. We got to train the national people. And we have brilliant people overseas, brilliant people that are teaching and training, and that was my dream. And people never said a word. I never said, I never had anybody say, yeah, y'all can do this. Yeah, nobody patted me on the back, said, boy, it's a good deal. That's a great thing. Let's do it. You know what? Our church bought into it because we didn't owe anybody any money. So our building programs now are for overseas. That's where you're going to be real quickly. So our last building, we had financed the Family Life Center, and then we said, no more debt, because that's a God principle. So the loan officer, Jess Stubbs, called me while we were building it. He said, Pastor Dean, who's doing your financing? I said, yes, we're not financing. You're not financing? It's like $1.3 million. And I said, no. Really? Well, that's great. He called me back. He said, can I have an appointment with you? He had looked at our financial statement. He came, sat down in my office. We did a little small talk, and he said, the reason I came, he said, I'm on the finance commission of a certain church in Shreveport and I don't know. I've heard they have 6,000 members. And he said, I want to know how you get your people to tithe. I, I, I don't know. We believe it's a Bible principle and we teach them. And my pastor, every January, does stewardship five, every Sunday in January. And he teaches tithing. Our people don't tithe. I see the strength of your church is you're tithing. And I said, well, yes, we may teach it differently than you. He said, well, how, well, how do you teach it? I said, we tell them they're going to hell if they don't tithe. Well, that ain't going to happen. I don't know. The Bible said there's no curse there. And Malachi said, if you don't tithe, you're cursed. You can swallow that and burp it up in about two hours and chew on it a little bit. You're not going to like me when I get through today. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah, I told him, I said, I, really, I actually don't say that, but I do kind of believe it. a Bible principle. So receiving gifts. I, t I told the first service, I don't know that I've ever sacrificed. In the Old Testament, you had to have a sacrifice. He said, bring an offering in your hand. You come to the house of God. I've pastored people 34 years. They, they never put anything in the offering. They're losers. The best preacher in our city Preaches in our church. The best praise and worship team in our city is in our church. When people get married in our church, our people, we ask them to, to pay for the people to have to clean up 
We don't charge them. We just say, people have got to work, you know. People got to come in here and follow you up. I had a man one time called me, and he was like, he was surprised. His boy was getting married, and he was surprised that we, they were going to have to pay. And I said, you know, I'm a little bit surprised that a non-contributing member I'm getting some stares right now, Pastor. I'm, you, you better smile because if you don't, you look mighty guilty. He's this guy, it was his son. He called me back and he said, what did you mean by a non-contributing member? I said, that's someone who pour, pulls in on our concrete parking lot, walks into the prettiest church building in this city, enjoys the temperature-controlled atmosphere, here's the best praise and worship team in our city, and then here's the best preacher, and then he don't give it and, and uh, don't put anything in the offering. I thought that's what you meant. That's what he told me. He said, I called my son, and he said, yeah, Dad, I give the Bible away. I don't let my left hand know what my right hand's doing. I said, well, for starters, me and your boy need to have a Bible study. Do you know when Jesus said that? When you give your alms to the poor. I'm teaching you a principle here. You know, we go out and feed the homeless. We want to post it all over Instagram. Put it all over Twitter. Put it all over Facebook. Hey, our church is down here feeding, giving everybody turkeys today. Jesus said when you give your alms to the poor, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing never have me back, I know, but I'm telling you some things that's in the Bible. So I told that man that, and you know what? He quit church. Quit church, and his boy quit church, and he got married and came back. Now he's a faithful tithe-paying member of our church. You know why? He learned the principle. If I give my tithe, I'm not sacrificing. That was his. I returned it. He entrusted me with it. Everything I own is his. Everything I have is his. You don't know a more blessed person than the man standing in his pulpit. Let Judy Fronenberger tell you, she knows where I came from. She knows about that little church where my dad pastored with about 32 people and seven of them were in our family. She watched Redemptive Lift get a hold of me and my brothers and my daddy and my mother. She watched the faithfulness of that family as they began to do what God taught and practice and God sent my dad a revival and blessed him beyond any of his wildest desires. I'm not preaching to you something that I haven't lived. I live it. So when you come to the house of God, bring a sacrifice with you. Now I know in the New Testament, our sacrifice is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Let me tell you, let's give God something right now. Let's give God something. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.